Hello, I'm Philip Clodio, and you're listening to the Hashed Health Podcast. This show is dedicated to everything healthcare and blockchain related. Here at Hashed Health, we have begun this incredible journey of developing blockchain solutions for healthcare. And we have the privilege of being able to talk with amazing people about this subject every single day. The goal of this show is to include you in these conversations. Join us as we host meetups, attend conferences, and conduct interviews with our friends and other industry thought leaders. You can find more content like this at hashedhealth.com. That's www.hashedhealth.com. Or connect with us on Twitter at hashedhealth. Here we go. So in March, we attended the HIMSS Annual Conference in Orlando, and it was an amazing conference with a lot of excitement and hype around blockchain. Uh, the CEO of IBM, Ginny Rometty, in her opening comments, did a great job of hyping the technology along with IBM Watson. But with all this hype comes a lot of baggage, and we meet lots of people who don't have a clear understanding of what blockchain is. So today, we look to set the record straight. My guest today is Brian Bailendorf. Brian is the executive at the Hyperledger Project, which is an open source collaborative initiative hosted by the Linux Foundation. Its charter is to build a set of distributed ledger or blockchain technologies that can be used for a wide variety of purposes and that can be embedded inside the emerging next generation internet technology stack. Welcome, Brian. Hey, it's great to be here. So, Brian, I usually don't do this with my guests, but uh, I just want to take a minute and Talk about your background. So in the early 90s, you co-founded Organic, which was the first business dedicated to building commercial websites. Uh, It was during that time that you also got involved with the Apache Software Foundation. Uh, From there, you became the CTO of the World Economic Forum. You also was was the former director and CTO of CollabNet, which was a company that developed tools for enabling collaborative and distributed software development. At one point, you were a venture capitalist with Mithril Capital. And then finally, you've landed at the Hyperledger Project as their executive uh, director. Um, I just really wanted to hear kind of your, about your background and and learn about how you got involved with blockchain and you know how this technology has played a, a role in your career and you know at what point did it really become a, a big thing on your radar? Right. Uh, yeah. No. You um, as as you've kind of described, I've kind of bounced around a lot of different things. I'm a lot older than my photos make me look. Um, uh, so so a lot, large part of my career though has been about uh, open technology, uh, open open source software, really, and uh, trying to figure out how to make it sustainable, how to help people make money do, using it. And I don't mean like like IPO riches kind of thing. I've just been driven more by how do you help developers get paid uh, and build businesses around open source software, around trying to build common infrastructure, common technologies. And so, um, you know, I've played that out in a couple different settings, in, in kind of a startup setting, in uh, a nonprofit setting. Um, uh, I worked at a, as you mentioned, the World Economic Forum, which was like an international, you know, 
non-governmental organization, non-profit really, um, uh, and then uh, as a venture capitalist even. Um, and so when when Satoshi Nakamoto's paper first came out, um, you know, I, I read the abstract like a lot of people did. And, you know, there are parts of me that are like, this is this is very different and cool. And I'd, I'd been close to like the cypherpunks community and, and, and others for a long time. Um, in fact, that was one of the cool parts of working at Wired magazine actually was how close they were to so many of the people thinking about financial cryptography and that sort of thing. Um, but I, uh, you know, when I first heard about the paper, I was also concerned that, you know, I don't really see myself as a speculator, as an, as a, especially around currencies. Um, uh, it seemed like, you know, Bitcoin would do well, the worse off that the world and the economy got. So I didn't really want to be betting on that to happen. <laughs> um, and there was also a concern I had that, you know, the structure of Bitcoin would cause, uh, if it didn't turn out well, cause an awful lot of smart people to talk themselves into being part of a very large distributed Ponzi scheme, right? And I'm glad it didn't turn <laughs> out that way. Um, but it also is one reason why I just ignored it for, for so long, um, much to my detriment, for sure. Um, but, but also, you know, um, so what really happened was while I was a VC, uh, uh, we started to talk to Bitcoin companies and blockchain companies. And I was still fairly much a skeptic, but it was when one company in particular, when Factum actually came by and described to me the land title use case. Um, and, and that use case is you know storing the records that normally get stored in a government you know, repository of, you know, who owns what title to what land and where and, and when and how is that conferred and does somebody have a mortgage or some other lease against that land and all that that I realized, oh my gosh, this actually is um, a big deal because up until that point, and I'd actually started to grow pretty despondent at the technology revolution at how much, you know, the move to the cloud and the move to web services and, and all that had been a move to centralization. When what really got a, a lot of people I know fired up about the internet was decentralization and open source was all about decentralization. We didn't build one big web that everybody was on. We built lots and lots of distributed webs that people could bounce around in between using common standards, but also, you know, distributed governance, right? Um, and so, so I spent some more time trying to understand that model and I started to see that this was an answer to a lot of my concerns about this, this over centralization. Um, but it still wasn't, you know, Bitcoin itself wasn't solution to that because in a way, Bitcoin itself is, is centralized in how it's developed and centralized in that it's one blockchain, right? It's a decentralized blockchain, but there's one governance model around it, which you see that playing out in the debates happening now around, um, the future of, of Bitcoin and should there be a hard fork and what happens. So uh, long story short, this use case I played out, I, I, I saw you know, applications for it in healthcare where I spent about a year while I was in Washington, D.C. working for Health and Human Services and realized this could have a big impact there. Um, and so gradually, as I learned more about what was going on, I, I heard about the Hyperledger project getting spun up at the Linux Foundation. And as I learned more, I said, okay, they're onto something good here. And if I can help with it, uh, then, then, you know, that feels actually like a more worthwhile thing for me to be doing than making other people richer, um, by being a venture capitalist. So I, uh, jumped over and, uh, and joined as executive director back in May. Yeah. Well, as a, uh, a member of the blockchain community, uh, you are definitely a, a cornerstone in, in our community. And it's, it's just great that, you know, you're able to go to all the conferences that you're able to go to. And, uh, you do a great job of, just helping people gain a, a clear understanding about the technology and ways they can get involved. At the HIMSS conference, what I thought was funny was that 
a lot of people were when they came to our booth, and I think you probably saw this too, was they kept talking about blockchain as this new database. And they would talk about it and these really they're they're hyped up about the technology, obviously. And they'd say, Oh, it's this new database. Let me let me tell you what I understand. It's a new database that's gonna work like a network that everyone in the world can connect with and it's always gonna stay um, in sync or accurate, and it's gonna be the cures for all these interoperability problems in the healthcare. Um, you know what? What did you, what? What kind of crazy things did you hear? And and what? And what? <laughs> how can we appropriately describe the technology um, so that we can have people have a clear understanding of what of what blockchain actually is? Yeah, I, you know, uh, sometimes metaphors fail me. So so, I, I you know sometimes I describe it as like a benzene ring, right? A benzene ring is this bizarre thing in nature where you know you've got six what are they carbon atoms kind of arranged in a hexagon um, uh, and uh, they share half a bond um, but you know it kind of rotates around so quickly around that ring that uh, um, it essentially is one and a half uh, uh, bonds but uh, uh, you know atomic bonds between each molecule even though you can't really have half a bond um, so um, by the same token I don't think blockchains themselves are actually properly thought of as databases, nor are they necessarily properly thought of as networks. They're kind of this weird hybrid of both. It's a networked database or uh, a database of networks or something. But like, um, so the, the metaphors are, are challenging to us right now, for sure. Um, but uh, this is why I try to actually stop using the word blockchain, to be honest. I've started to really just say distributed ledgers and smart contracts. Because first off, those are the, that's the order in which we're going to build this. You can't really have smart contracts without distributed ledgers. So we have to start with that. That's the foundation. Um, and, and you start by telling people, imagine if you, know, you have this, this shared system of record. Everybody can write to it. Um, you can't delete anything from it. Um, and uh, uh, we use cryptography to ensure that everything is kept in sync and provide, um, you know, a true attestation, a kind of confidence that what's been written in the past it hasn't been modified, all that, right? Um, and that's really cool. Uh, uh, and we should... Uh, uh, that alone solves a large number of coordination problems out there in the world. Um, what smart contracts give us is the ability to automate that uh, and and take a lot of processes in the world that today are very paper-bound processes, very human labor-oriented processes, um, and convert them into automated processes. And whether that's you know the sharing of medical records or that's uh, um, you know you know there's a firm belief that if we had had smart contracts in place in the mortgage industry. Um, that the unruly, you know, unwinding of that industry in 2008, when all these uh, mortgage instruments were, were being sold off at pennies on the dollar and leading eventually to people getting falsely evicted from their homes, um, we might have had a much more orderly unwinding process, perhaps not even have had the, the run up in asset prices that caused that calamity. Um, but that's an idealistic statement. Um, it presumes that that industry, you know, if blockchain technology had been around 15 years earlier, would have gotten together and figured out how to build their systems in such a way that um, the thing that caused the run-up in asset prices would have been manageable and the thing that would have caused the unruly unwinding would have been foreseen and planned for. So likewise in healthcare, the big challenge here is so, – oh, uh, 
Neither open source nor blockchain technology is magic pixie dust that will automatically stimulate um, not only better health information sharing or more automation of payment flows and process claims processes uh, uh, or put the patient back at the center of health information exchange. Neither of those do it on the, on the, their own. We, we at one point, you know, 10 years ago, a lot of us had hoped that open source software would be that that nudge. Even that wasn't enough. Um, but what blockchain technology does give us a chance to do is get people out of their big data fetish kind of mindset, um, where they believe they have to be the center of the, the data universe around healthcare, um, or at the very least, the center of their patient's health data universe, and get them into a mindset where they are sharing more data by default, where they are building common systems of record for the track, you know, pointers to that data and, and how it's being distributed, um, that maybe uses the um, efficiencies uh, that come from processing claims and payment flows uh, through distributed, through, through a blockchain technology, through distributed ledgers and smart contracts as the pull to be able to bring along with it a more patient-centric view of how to manage healthcare records. But there's absolutely the risk that we can implement, bring all these systems with us and still implement them the old broken way without rethinking the, the business models and rethinking the motivations uh, and the design of what we build that ends up leaving patients just as disenfranchised now uh, in the future as they are now. Right. Uh, and that's uh, what we hopefully we can avoid. Um, and what I think it's going to take are the people involved in these early days in the application of blockchain technology to healthcare to make sure that the first couple projects we put out there are um, patient centric projects are are focused on showing how easy it is now to involve patients, to put patients at the center of health information exchange, to involve them in consent mechanisms for the sharing of their data, um, and and hopefully create economic reward for companies that um, do that the right way. You know, not just <laughs> better HIPAA compliance, um, uh, uh, you know, because you are by HIPAA supposed to share records with the patient, you know, no more than cost, right? Um, but actually themselves realize advantage in terms of better quality of care, um, faster James, faster claims adjudication, all that sort of thing. Um, and so, so yeah, at HIMSS and at other conferences, people are getting really excited. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty about how this happens. Um, there are some very promising weight signposts out there, such as, you know, the, uh, the HHS essay contest from last year that generated 70, 75 odd papers with 15 winners, um, you know, was it was a really good exploration of this of the of this landscape, uh, and some of those, like the MedRec paper from MIT, got people pretty excited because here it seemed to be a um, uh, a process for for managing personal health data on a on a public blockchain, you know, um, but doing that in a confidential, uh, secure, cryptographically secure way that guarantees down the road patient access to their data, no matter what happens to the clinic they found treatment in, or if they change health plans or move out of region or whatever. Um, so, so people are excited and there, it's not unreasonable excitement, but it's on us, I think now to channel that into the, a great first set of pilots and projects. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, uh, one thing, uh, John Bass, our, our CEO here at Hashed, he, we always talk about in every project we say, you know, we're looking at a proof of concept, we're always, okay, what is the impact of the patient? Uh, and, and we need to be able to summarize that in, in three sentences, and it needs to be impactful for us to want to make a move on that. But what did, what did Hyperledger, uh, or what did Linux create the Hyperledger Foundation, uh, and, and what role is are you guys looking to play in this blockchain space? Yeah. 
So, it, so you know, the 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 Genesis days uh, happened just before me. So I have to kind of read the uh, the tea leaves and the runes and the and the <laughs> uh, uh, the messages. But uh, um, you know, I think it came from a set of companies, small and large companies, uh, who felt that the current focus on um, the current uh, the focus on cryptocurrencies was overshadowing the other distributed ledger, pure distributed ledger advantages. I mean, if, there are a lot of places where you can find build networks where the participants want to build this common system of ledger and don't need to be mining a token to be able to incent their participation in that network, right? Um, and and that's not all networks. And for the public-facing kind of thing, you have a different space you have to focus on. So, so the thesis was, if you could strip that out um, uh, and focus purely on disrupting kind of the existing information sharing and transactional networks out there and decentralize them without taking them all the way to anonymous public, um, you could do a lot of good and you could get higher transaction rates. Um, and it was kind of this thesis as you I think alluded to at the very beginning, we weren't all going, we aren't all going to converge on one big chain that has millions of transactions a second, you know, <laughs> um, because it just doesn't work that way. Um, uh, this will be a world of many chains and we'll be building technologies to not only support you know, the setup of these chains, make that easy, make that standardized, make that transparent, but building technologies to span multiple chains. Um, and and uh, you can probably see this in the Indie project that we brought into Hyperledger uh, just yesterday. Uh, we finally uh, voted in at the technical steering committee to accept it as a project. This is a platform for tying together identities across chains so that if I've got three different blockchains that I'm talking to to assemble somebody's uh, healthcare data, I know and I can figure out who that's that one person is across these three different chains. And that one person can elect when to share data to with me if I'm a provider or an insurer uh, that they have that sits elsewhere, right? So so it, it's really a personal data and privacy focused approach to, to doing this. Um, and so in the in the real role that Hyperledger um, aims to take on is is to be the place where the geeks get together to actually write code and ship it, right? Like everyone writes white papers, everyone writes use cases, everyone, you know, um, invests and, and buys buys tokens in an ICO <laughs> when they hear an idea that they like. Um, <laughs> but uh, but if we're not building common plumbing, it's going to get a lot harder it's going to be a lot harder to build common applications uh, or, or really differentiated applications, let me put it that way, um, high value business oriented applications on top. And this is relevant if you're a big company like an IBM or, or let me say an Epic or a Cerner, right? You're going to want to focus much more on the end user interfaces and the business logic than you want to focus on blockchain plumbing. Um, but it also obviously matters to startups who, you know, really need to spend every dollar that they can on differentiated value add types of things. Right. Um, uh, and, and it matters for regulators in the in the healthcare space and, and the role of the government, both as a as a regulator, but also as a big producer and consumer of health services and payments um, to see this stuff go in a direction that is open efficient, transparent. Um, and there probably is no greater public policy prerogative at this point than to um, moderate or even cut the cost of healthcare in the United States for the quality that we get, right? So um, this is important stuff. Um, and so what we want to be is not the standards body. We don't want to be the governance organization that runs the chain or sets of chains that where people share data across. Um, we want to be the people building the standardized plumbing 
that gets used everywhere, right? To do for the blockchain space what Linux did for the uh, for the Linux space, and where and where there might be a need for us to go, uh, you know, one step above pure operating system framework level and do something that ends up being healthcare sector specific. You know, build a set of model smart contracts and uh, validation logic and maybe even some basic business logic that make it easy to adopt uh, to, 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 to build a, a healthcare record system and healthcare record sharing across a blockchain, then by all means, we should do that, right? Um, and that's really what we're trying to drive the conversation with our members around is what's the next logical thing for us to be doing bottoms up, you know, uh, so that hashed health and and big companies and, you know, the VA and others can get the stuff in and built and converted more quickly. You know, one thing that I'm I'm really envious of is that at the Hyperledger Foundation, you basically have this awesome seat where you get to see what's going on in financial services. Obviously, you're getting to track healthcare, automotive, and insurance. Can you kind of talk about what's going on in each of these different verticals and, and how they compare and how they're different? Uh, what challenges that are unique to each one and what challenges are similar? Uh, yeah, well, if we've got another hour, um, no, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, these, these industries, I mean, look at the, at the operating system level, a lot of the needs are the same, right? It's, you know, a distributed ledger. Some of them will need these distributed ledgers to be faster than others. You know, um, some of the use cases in finance call for tens of thousands of transactions per second, right? Um, some of them will need smart contract language and validation logic that runs on the peers that just needs to prevent double spend. Others will want um, functionality that allows for full Turing complete programming um, and, and make sure that that doesn't get in the way of other efficient processes. Like there's, there's highly technical differences, but at the end of the day, you know, I'd say that the sectors are more similar than different, right? So um, supply chain track and trace is something that, um, is is you know every sector has the automotive sector the um uh pharmaceutical sector the um mineral sector like the diamond trade right the project being set up there um and and almost every financial use case has significant non-financial ramifications right so you know the untitled kind of use case um is partly about helping people ensure that their historic title to their property can't be taken away from them by a corrupt bureaucrat. Um, but it's also substantially about helping um, lenders make sure that when they're making a, that they're lending against a, a title on the, to a piece, to a house, uh, that that title won't be taken away from them either. Right. So um, it's one of those rare moments where you do see this, this harmonization between positive social impact in a lot of different stories and an economic rationale to get this implemented. Right. Um, around efficiency, around transparency, around trust. Um, and so we see a lot of the um, OK. So so being at the World Economic Forum, you know, which whose motto is committed to improving the state of the world, you, even even though I'm no longer there, you can't walk away, but still be an idealist. Uh, and so the, um, the sustainable <laughs> development goals um, are the set of twenty nine top level and I think two hundred and sixty underlying goals um, that the world, you know, the governments and NGOs of the world have kind of aligned themselves around uh, to go and try to fix what's broken out there, right? From malnutrition to slave labor to and human trafficking uh, to carbon emissions, that sort of thing. Every one of those 268 different goals involves a metric 
every metric in order to actually know if we're making progress against it or not needs to come out of an accounting system of some sort. And the best way we know today to build an accounting system that that um, is trustworthy, that is decentralizable, that doesn't just require that we we local, you know, centralize all of our trust in either a government or into Google. Uh, the only way to do that is with blockchain technology. Um, and, and so the private sector is really interested in this, but, but the NGO sector as well. And so, so it's a good question to ask, how do we get when the diamond industry moves to a, to a, um, a supply chain, you know, that's recording its mo track, its movements on, on a blockchain, um, how do we also make sure that the human rights organizations and uh, whistleblowers and the, the workers themselves have the ability to also publish into that chain so that, you know, those violations can be tied to uh, um, to data about who are the good suppliers or not in a way that those suppliers cannot um, uh, eliminate. They can they can contest it. They could challenge it, you know, but it becomes part of their permanent record, too. Um and this is a big question for, for us in society. How do we design these systems to, to get both the economic impact and maximize the, the social impact? Yeah, now, real quick, I just want you to kind of describe what, what actually open source is, just in case some of our listeners don't know. Because, I mean, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of projects that kind of started out in the open source space. Skype, for example, started out as an open source project, and then it became got acquired by Microsoft. We're seeing uh, big com bigger companies like IBM, Microsoft donate code to these open source initiatives and then all of a sudden they might pull back pull them back in and commercialize on top of them. So can you just just quickly kind of take a step yeah, back so, and describe what open source actually means? Sure, sure. And I was um, in the room <laughs> in 1997 when we had a meeting with a bunch of people in the free software space who are building businesses going, you know, maybe there's a different brand that we can use, different term that we can use um, to distinguish ourselves from the GPL, for one thing, but also make it clear that we're not anti-capitalist at all, right? What we want is for companies and everyone else to work together on common infrastructure. And so we chose the word open source because we thought uh, that would be a, a way of generalizing it um, and uh, said it's about licenses, software licenses. So we said about standardizing those software licenses. Um, and I've left that behind quite a bit just as a community, um, not not the not the concept, but because that, that's still very much in my heart. But, uh, uh, you know, what's what's really important there is is not so much the license as the as this idea that you can use a platform like the Apache web server or the Linux operating system or, uh, you know, other major open source packages and know that that software will outlive its original developers, right? Um, that, you know, uh, if it's good, if it's a good product, but more importantly, a good community, it is a multi-vendor, multi-stakeholder community building this code. And you don't have to worry about a single vendor kind of losing confidence, losing faith and moving on. This is the kind of community that organizations like Apache since day one have been attempting to, to engineer. Um, Apache itself says, you know, we, we value community over code, right? And um, projects have to demonstrate that they can get to that multi-stakeholder spot before they even leave the incubator. So we've we've copied that at the Linux Foundation, um, at, at least on the Hyperledger project. We really believe that it's important that these underlying technologies, even if they initially start out as projects initiated at one vendor, or there's one vendor who really recognizes the commercial value of having this code out there and and trusted and downloaded, that. Eventually, those projects need to grow up and become multi-vendor projects. Um, 
And Fabric, Fabric started out life, uh, which is a hyperledger project. You could say it's probably our, our most active project at this point. Um, started out life inside of IBM, and so when it was open sourced, IBM didn't just drop it on our doorstep and walk away because we don't have developers, right? <laughs> we depended upon IBM to say to continue developing it, right? Because they knew it better and they knew because they had had lots and lots of customer engagements what what needed to be done. Um, so we 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 you know they they obviously continued to invest, but they also opened up their processes, right? So you could see what are the issues they're working against? What's the architecture they're working against? Um, what's What would they like to do next? In fact, the architecture process uh, uh, is something that uh, we drove across a number of our key uh, uh, members of, of Hyperledger um, and got their chief architects involved, chief, chief blockchain architects involved in kind of working with IBM to chart a new path that has now ended up as the Fabric version one architecture. Um, and that wouldn't matter if IBM was still writing all the code. The good news is we're at a point where IBM is about 50% of the code and the rest of the community is providing the other 50%. Um, and I think that's really good after about nine months of active development to be ended, ending up there, right? Um, but we'd like to get to the point where maybe it's uh, 25% rather than 50%, right? And that's going to take time as, as it takes other companies to see the economic value of that IBM is seeing in becoming a, a a host for blockchain technologies, uh, becoming a support organization for implementing them through their global services division, um, and that that's that's clear, very clear to IBM. But uh, I think it's growingly, it's becoming more and more or more clear to other companies out there, and that's why we're seeing other contributions come in. Um, and so I, I'll just pit, end it with. I think you shouldn't think of something as open source unless it actually has an open source license, which doesn't allow anybody to pull back, right? You can still build a business on top, but you can't pull the code back anymore. Um, um, it has to have an open source license and it has to have a multi-vendor community around it. And somebody like the Linux Foundation or the Apache Software Foundation or these uh, the Eclipse Foundation, these other foundations, whose entire rationale, the reason they exist is to give that project a long-term sustainable, uh, independent home, right? Um, and that's what we hope to do with, with Hyperledger. That's awesome. Um, real quick, you know, what, what do you view right now as being, being on the, on the bleeding edge of, of blockchain development? You know, I, I thought Zcash is pretty interesting. You've got, uh, Qtom out of, uh, China. What, what, what do you define as the bleeding edge of blockchain development? You know, where, where are we at and where are we going to be in, uh, three to five years and what's, what's the developments that you're seeing right now that are really going to shake things up? It's, uh, I, I have to admit, I spend more of my time focused on the the bricks and foundation than I do on the the spires at the top of the castle. Um, uh, although I know they're there and I, 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 I want to bring the full stack in. Um, so ZK Snarks and homomorphic encryption and secure multi-party computing, I mean, all those approaches to trying to do um, secure distributed computing where, where privacy can be protected, but you can still do useful things like search or add up, right, uh, or analyze, um, even if you don't have access to the underlying data, that's really important. Because right now we have this addiction to moving personal data around and being uh, sloppy about it. I mean, we in the Bitcoin community, or blockchain community, I mean, we uh, in the technology industry are too laissez-faire about other people's data. And so approaches to being able to work with it without having access to it, <laughs> um, ironically enough, uh, is going to be really important. Um, and so, and there's a lot of cutting edge math that 
that calls for and that's going to be critical to uh, sort out. Um, I'm also really intrigued by the fact that smart contracts are are a very different kind of programming than we've grown accustomed to. We've grown accustomed to being able to update um, web apps, you know, instantaneously and push updates 10 times a day, or even mobile apps push updates on a daily or weekly basis. Um, you can't do that with a contract. The contract has to do what you tell it to do. And, and unless you have some declared process for updating that contract, you know, every update is going to be a, a negotiation with other parties, right? Um, uh, or potentially with no parties if it's an automated tool. So there's, there's some big issues, uh, to start out. And, um, so, so I'm intrigued by what's going on in the Ethereum community. That's why it was important for me to bring, um, uh, to, to have the door open to projects in the Ethereum community to come into Hyperledger and sit next to Fabric and Sawtooth Lake and Aroha and our other projects so that we can um, support them, but also learn from them. And, and maybe you'll see a Solidity virtual machine running on top of Sawtooth or running on top of uh, Aroha or Fabric at some point. Uh, and uh, maybe they'll learn something from us about enterprise software. I don't know. Um, uh, my, my gut tells me that nobody knows for sure. Um, and my job is to maximize the serendipity <laughs> and, the, and the potential for, um, for that kind of discovery and for the ability to turn that as quickly as possible from from new ideas, new cutting edge thinking into production quality code. And real quick for our listeners who don't know, can you uh, kind of briefly or quickly define what a smart contract is? Uh, so a smart contract is basically a, a, a piece of software that um, is deployed to a to a distributed ledger that runs on some periodic basis or at a predefined basis and runs everywhere. Uh, and when it runs, it it might you know check things like the weather, or the time of day, or the price of some other you know um, instrument somewhere. And and if it comes up with an answer, and everybody else across the network comes up with the same answer, um, and they all agree, then you probably will see another entry added to the distributed ledger. And so with this, you can build things like insurance contracts. You could build things like uh, options and derivatives on equities. You can uh, build tools that um, will only decrypt data for people under certain conditions, and only if um, they write, you know, can write to a ledger that such a, a sharing happened. And so in the healthcare space, this is how we get to auditable health data sharing. If the only way to get access to a health data record is by asking a smart contract to share it with you, and there's no way to avoid that smart contract logging that request into the ledger, then you have an audit log that cannot be uh, compromised. And that's pretty effing cool. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, so, Brian, uh, are there any any questions you want me to ask you? Is there anything I've left out? Um no, any, um, any, any know, softballs just, uh, you want me to throw your way? <laughs> what we're building at, at Hyperledger and the Linux Foundation is uh, a, a community of technologists coming together to build common common frameworks, common libraries, common things to go and 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 implement blockchain app, uh, uh, frameworks inside of enterprises, but but around the world. Um, and it's a global effort. Uh, it's it's a developer driven effort. So you're not going to have anybody from a bank hovering over you telling you what to build, unless they're your employer. <laughs> um, uh, uh, if you want to learn about blockchain technologies, I think it's a good place to get started. Um, and uh, if you want to see the future, I think it's where we're we're making it up as we go. Awesome. Well, Brian, I, I appreciate your time today. Um, as I said before, it's 
you are a, a fixture in the community and a cornerstone to a lot of the efforts that happen in this space. And it's just great that, uh, you know, it, we have so many people who are eccentric and extremely smart, uh, but n- not all of them are as humble and uh, take the time to talk with people like you do. And we, we truly appreciate that here at Hashed Health. And I, I really thank you for your time today. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, I'm really happy to, that, that Hashed Health is out there fighting the good fight on all of this. You've been listening to the Hash Podcast, presented by Hashed Health. Find more content like this at hashedhealth.com. Or come to our next meetup and join our growing community of blockchain professionals and enthusiasts. Learn more at hashedhealth.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.